Welcome back to Search the Scriptures. Great to be back again with all of our listeners. What a pleasure, what a blessing it is to be able to come together each day and dig a little bit deeper into God's Word. We're so thankful that you are there. You are a great blessing to us and encouragement to us. And we're thankful that we can be here for you to help you learn God's Word better and thereby come closer to God. We keep emphasizing on this program that we do exactly as the name of the program suggests. We dig deep into God's Word. We don't want to just talk about surface-level matters. We don't want to talk about the Scriptures in a surface-level fashion. We want to help you get into God's Word. Again, faith comes by hearing the Word of God. That's the biblical formula, Romans chapter 10 and verse 17. It doesn't just happen to you. It's not something you catch like a virus or, a, you know, you've been exposed to a bacteria and now you've got a cold or you've got a, you know, some kind of infection or whatever. No, no. Faith comes as you dig into God's word, come to understand it, believe it, and then make up your mind, I want to put that into practice. I want to live by it. So that's what real saving faith is. We want to help you with that. We want to help you get to heaven. And the only way to get to heaven is coming to God through his Son, your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Peter stated in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12, speaking of Jesus, said, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Jesus is the only way to God and the only way to salvation by coming to God for that forgiveness and salvation. So we want to help you with that. We want to help you get to heaven. We always offer a free Bible study. At the end of the program, every day, we tell you how to contact us. If you'll have a pen or a pencil and a piece of paper ready, You can jot down that information and then you can contact us. You can write to us. You can telephone us. You can email us. You can hit the link on our website at www.churchofchrist.com and you can email us a request to receive that free Bible study. It is a basic study from God's Word filled with Scripture. The Scriptures are right there, so you can read right along. You don't have to fumble your way through trying to find them in in the Bible if you're not that familiar with where the regular books of the Bible are. So it's easy to follow. And again, very basic, easy to understand. All you have to do is ask. It's free, and we'll take care of the postage. So have that pencil or pen and piece of paper ready and jot down that information and then contact us. We want to hear from you. We really do. We're going to get back into this study that we have been going through over the last several programs talking about marriage, but specifically the kind of love that fulfills and sustains marriage. Now, as we looked at the introductory materials to this study, this series, we emphasized how Our country, our culture is in serious danger of imploding and crumbling. In fact, I think we're already in the process of imploding as a culture because the basic unit of our society, which is the home, is in terrible disarray. The home is crumbling. Now, I know there are exceptions to that. There are great homes out there. There are great marriages out there. But 
so largely is the case that so many homes are just breaking up or have already broken up that our culture is in danger because the home is like the incubator of the next generation of adults. Now God designed marriage going back to Genesis chapter 2 and you look at the last several verses in that particular chapter, God made the woman to go with the man. And I believe we should understand by implication made the man to go with the woman. And he brought her to the man. And the very next verse after, after Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, she shall be, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of the man. The very next verse talks about how God saw that as marriage. He referred to the woman as the man's wife. And so from the beginning, marriage has been a reality. And it is through that unique and precious relationship that God has designed that men and women should come together, form their own family, their own marriage, and then bring forth children into the world and in that marriage and home relationship, nurture, train, teach, raise those children to become good, positive, godly, and productive adults. But you see, the homes are crumbling all around us. You've got so many single-parent homes now. So many children are born into, uh, are born to unwed mothers, and they keep it that way. And a lot of times they just raise their children without ever being married to the father of their children. In many cases, the children see different, uh, different men coming in and out of their, their mother's lives on an ongoing basis. And so the children grow up not knowing what real marriage looks like. They grow up not knowing what it is to have a father around all the time, or in some cases, a mother around all the time. They don't, they don't see what a husband and wife relationship is supposed to be because it doesn't exist in their, in their, in their reality. They, they grow up not knowing how to become a real man. And I'm not talking about having muscles and being able to fight. That's all physical, superficial, surface-level stuff. I'm talking about the qualities of manhood. And they don't understand the qualities of womanhood as it relates to, to mom being married, mom loving her husband, and in that nuclear family kind of setting, mom and dad coming together and nurturing and loving and raising their children in a stable home. We're losing that in our country. And as we're losing that, our children are growing up not knowing how to really be those kind of full-fledged adults taking their place. And so they make similar mistakes as their parents made, and they raise children out of wedlock. They raise children in single-parent homes. They raise children in dysfunctional homes, and those children grow up ill-prepared as well to take their place as adults and functioning adults within the society and culture. Well, we've got to turn it around by God's help and by his grace. And the only way to do that is to come back to God's way for familyhood, for marriage. 
And in this particular study, we want to help you in your marriage. We want to help you get ready for married for marriage. And if you're already married, we want to help that marriage to get better. And if you're struggling in your marriage, we want to help you be able to make that better and not give up on it. Your children need you to be husband and wife, mama and daddy together. Now, we looked in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, at the beginning of the Apostle Paul's context on a particular kind of love that I believe if we will develop this within our relationship as, as husband and wife, there's almost no way that our marriages will fail. Now, I know this particular context is not directed specifically at husbands and wives, at marriage relationships, but it's a quality of love that if we will learn and develop that kind of love, and if we will exhibit that and live that kind of love as husbands and wives, oh my, our marriages will be fulfilled and sustained. They'll be great. So the kind of love that fulfills and sustains marriage. In the first three verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 13, and Paul's talking about agape love here, the highest expression of love in the Greek language. And so again, agape love is not based on the worthiness of the one loved, but on the determination in the heart of the one doing the loving. Agape love cannot be earned. It is freely given. It is unconditional. It quietly hangs in there and does what needs to be done, no matter what. You don't fall into this kind of love. You don't fall out of this kind of love either. You make up your mind to love your husband, to love your wife, no matter what. Now, the first basis of attraction between a man and a woman that ultimately leads them to get married, to make the commitment of marriage, is emotional, largely. Oh, they, they like the appearance but then they get to know each other a little bit more and they like the way they act and behave and how they treat one another. And they find out they have some common interests. But that emotional kind of beginning to their love needs to develop into the kind of agape love that Paul is talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That kind of love will fulfill and sustain their marriage. Now, we looked at the first of the 16 qualities, positive qualities, of what this kind of love is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and the first part of verse 4, where Paul says, love suffers long. And the idea there is, it is absolutely determined. It will not give up. It'll even, it'll even endure wrong on the part done on the part of either the husband or the wife, It the other spouse will say, okay, all right, I, that's not right, but I'm not going to give up on this marriage. I'm not going to give up on my love for you. And so even over a period of time that where it might normally emotionally provoke resentment, they, the spouse says, no, no, I, okay, this is not proper. It's not okay, but it's not going to kill my love for you. Love suffers long. The next quality, Paul says, is love is kind, kind. 
oh, if we could grasp this fully and implement it on a consistent basis, it will help so many marriages. There are husbands and wives who are just not very kind to one another. Cut each other up, put each other down, say mean things to each other, about each other. But love is kind. It is good-natured. It is gentle. It is not sour or ill-natured, even in the face of provocation. Now let's go back to Romans chapter 12. And again, this particular text of scripture gives us a lot of individual instruction as to behavior as Christians. In Romans chapter 12 and verse, and, and, and verse 21, the apostle Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. You know, if we will implement that, take it to heart, put it into practice in our marriages, it will just do away with so much of the negatives. The old story goes about the, the wife who was just in, in her mind, she was in a horrible relationship with her husband. And so she goes and she visits her preacher. And she says, is there any way I can get out of this marriage? It's just terrible. We have a terrible relationship, horrible marriage. Can I get out of this scripturally? And the preacher says, no, listen, don't divorce your husband now. You wait a year and you kill him with kindness. You do good things for him on an ongoing basis. You fix his, his favorite meals. When he comes to the door, you hug him, you kiss him. You, you do everything he likes. And then after a year, you will have him so much in the palm of your hand that then when you tell him you're leaving, oh, it'll crush him. Well, now you can figure out the rest of the story, can't you? Of course, the preacher wasn't really trying to give her that, that kind of, of strategy because he was really serious about that kind of advice. But after a year, the preacher saw the woman and he said, are you ready to destroy him now? Are you ready to leave him? And her response was, leave him? No, I don't want to do that. He's the most wonderful husband I can imagine. <laughs> what changed? See, she had a perception of how terrible her husband was, but she was probably pretty much equally terrible in her treatment of him as she perceived that he was toward her. And when she changed, oh, that changed him too. When she was kind, he recognized that, and that turned him around toward her. Well, let's go back and see some things that the wise man wrote in Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 12 and verse 4, notice, An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who causes shame is like rottenness in his bones. Now, we could say that equally about the husband. The husband who is who is uh, uh, rotten, you know, who causes shame, well, that's like rottenness in the bones of his wife as well. When we look at, at uh, chapter 16, chapter 16 and verse 24, and here the wise man also addresses this general kind of principle. And he says, pleasant words are like a honeycomb, 
sweetness to the soul and health to the bones. Oh, honey's sweet, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's hard to, to, you know, just grimace when you take a mouthful of honey or a spoonful of honey because it's sweet. Now, sometimes we might say it's too sweet, you know, but, but maybe we've taken too much in the spoonful at that particular time, but it's not something that turns us off in a negative way where we say, oh, that's horrible, that's sour, that's bitter. No, it's sweet. And sweetness can change our behavior, our attitude, our thought process. And so pleasant words, oh, that can change the whole discussion, can it? The whole nature of a particular moment that is on the verge of being confrontational. One or the other of the spouses, either the husband or the wife, just steps forward with a kind word. And oh, it's like diffusing a bomb. In Proverbs 31, chapter 31, verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom, and on her tongue is the law of kindness. You know, kindness is an expression of wisdom. There are times, again, when if we'll just be kind, oh, it'll make things so much better, and it will diffuse a potentially explosive situation. You know, I was in an airport not long ago. My wife had stepped into the restroom, and I was in kind of a little atrium area, and just standing there with our luggage waiting for her to finish, and I noticed just across the way a couple. I don't know if they were married. I don't know if they were just boyfriend and girlfriend, but they looked like they could be married. And it was difficult not to notice the confrontation that the man was expressing toward very possibly his wife. He was very animated, you know, shaking his head. You could see now, I could not hear the words being said, but you could see by the expression on his face and how he was confronting her to her face. And I believe he said at one point something along the line, I'm done, or this is it, or this is, this is over, something like that. And I watched as his wife stood there and listened to everything that he said, did not change her expression her face was calm. She did not yell at him. She did not respond verbally to anything he said for a long period of time. As animated as he was, as challenging as he was, his body language was confrontational. He was chewing her out. And then after a while, she looked him right in the eye, and she always had her gaze right in his eyes. And after a while still holding his gaze, looking right in his eyes, she took one step forward and said something very calm right to his face. And I was so impressed, so impressed. That kind of demeanor, that kind of response can shut down an argument. It can cause the person, the spouse, either the husband or the wife, who is chewing out their mate, to all of a sudden be ashamed and calm down 
and realize how badly they've been acting. Love is kind. Love is kind. Paul goes on and he says, love does not envy. Feeling bad about the well-being of someone else, that's really ugly. And I mean ugly. But particularly so, if you're feeling bad, if you're envious of some good that your husband or your wife has experienced or accomplished, that's really ugly. Love does not envy. In Galatians 5 and verse 26, the Apostle Paul wrote, Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Husbands and wives should never envy one another. They should rejoice. They should be supportive. They should encourage one another. And when a husband or a wife something they do something good they're recognized for some achievement maybe it's been at work maybe it's a civic achievement whatever it is they're they're uh, you know praised for something then the the spouse they ought to be so supportive of that particular uh, action that was expressed toward them they ought to be supportive of whatever good whatever achievement whatever compliment they've received and not envy them, not put them down. In Proverbs 14 and verse 30, Proverbs 14 and verse 30, and here the wise man again writes, a sound, a sound heart is life to the body, but envy is rottenness to the bones. Envy is ugly. Envy is, uh, it's conceited. It's self-centered. Never, never envy your husband or your wife. Well, our time is just about up again, so we're going to have to stop here pretty quickly. But I hope you're, you're picking up some of the qualities that Paul is laying out here of the kind of love, the depth of love, that will fulfill and sustain a marriage. In fact, as we continue to go through these qualities, and there's 13 more left in this text, if you will implement, if any husband and wife will implement these qualities of love in their marriage relationship, I can virtually guarantee you, your marriage will not fail. In fact, your marriage will be rich and fulfilled. Think about that. In just a moment, we'll tell you how to compliment, how, how to compliment us, how to, how to contact us. Write down that information and then contact us and ask for the free Bible study that, you, uh, that we always offer. It is free. We'll take care of the postage. You can also receive a copy of today's program on CD, free for the asking. And again, we'll take care of the postage. We hope to hear from you right away.